Homestyle Green, episode 102, Vandermusser Design, helping the technical side of building green. G'day, welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the host of the show, Matthew Cutler-Welsh, and this is the podcast all about inspiring people to create a better place to live. And I'm very pleased to bring you this week, Matthew Vandy, who is has teamed up with his, his wife and partner, uh, Amy Musser, to, to create Vandermusser Design. And they are an engineering and architecture team with a great problem. They identified in the marketplace a industry that wants to build better but wants to know how, and they've gone ahead and fulfilled that need. So it's a great story, and I'm kind of a little bit jealous of uh, Matt, actually, because I just think this would be a fantastic work to be doing, and I think it's uh, what a lot of us aspire to be asked those sorts of questions of, hey, we'd like to build better, but can you help us figure out how to do it? So anyway, I started out by having a bit of a chat to Matt about where his name comes from. So... um, Thank you. Oh, and sorry, before I get started, I should just check your um, your surname. How do you pronounce your surname? Uh, so first name's Matthew, last name is Vandy, V-A-N-D-E. It's, Vandy, uh, it's, Vandy. It's, a, it's a truncated Dutch name. Yeah. When we, when we came to the U.S., I think it used to be Vandy Welker, and somewhere along the line, somebody when in a higher position of authority decided it needed to be shorter. So, <laughs> so every time I meet a Dutch person, they're very confused because uh. Vandy means basically of the, so I, I was of the Welker family and now I am of the, so. Right. Oh, I see. So Vanda, it's like, there should be something else there. <laughs> there should be something else there. There used to be. So, so is it Vanda, Vanda Massa? Yeah, so my my wife's last name is Musser, and yep. uh, we just kind of threw it all together. So it's Van de Musser, and that which confuses Dutch people even more. Yeah, I can imagine that is not a Dutch <laughs> name. Musser, <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, well, uh, we'll we'll get started then. So thank you very much, Matt, for joining us today on uh, Homestyle Green, and um, you're joining us from um, North Carolina. Is that right? Yep, um, Western North Carolina in the beautiful town of Asheville. Nice. And your company, Vandermasser, is a, basically a design firm, isn't it? Yeah, we do. I mean, design and um, kind of consulting firm. Um, a lot of the work we do is kind of consulting and certification work, but we definitely do um, design work as well. Yep. So I'm on a bit of a mission to find uh, the best of the best in terms of green designers and consultants from around the place. Specifically, it'd be great to find um, at least one person in each state across America and also Australia and the UK because what I'm finding more and more is that a lot of the houses have similar issues in our housing um industries across all those areas. So that's kind of why I'm tapping people like you on the shoulder. Um, but before we delve into that, can you tell us a bit about why you do what you do? Um, well, you know, I used to, when I, when I moved to North Carolina and actually before I moved to North Carolina, I was working as a commercial architect. Um, so I was working on a lot of, you know, large 
uh, commercial buildings. And, you know, in, in some ways, commercial architecture is a little advanced beyond residential construction in terms of, of some things that are required. And in some ways, they're way behind what's happening in residential. And I was always a little frustrated at what we were allowed to do as design professionals because, you know, from, from my education background uh, and schooling I had, I, I kind of knew that they were not necessarily the best practices. And, um, you know, I had had a background in residential construction prior to, to being an architect. And, you know, I had always kind of had a secret fantasy about um, getting back into residential construction and design. And um, when I real, when we moved to Asheville, there was a real hotbed of kind of energy efficiency um, advocacy going on. There were a lot of very talented green builders. And what we mm -hmm. were realizing was the green builders really wanted to do the right thing, but they didn't know what that right thing was. So there were a lot of questions being asked and there were not a lot of qualified people um, regionally that could answer those questions. And what my wife and I realized were, was that we, we had gone to school for this. I mean, we both have um, graduate degrees in architectural engineering and we had been taught a lot of this stuff. So we started getting calls from people just through kind of word of mouth you know, asking about these questions. And when they realized that we were able to answer them, the, the number of calls that started coming in just kind of skyrocketed. And we realized that there was a viable business here. Yeah. So we, um, we kind of, kind of shifted gears and she kind of stopped doing, um, you know, pure engineering and I stopped doing pure architecture. And we realized that there was a kind of a, a related field that was very underserved both in our area and in the U S in general. So, before we get into what that service looks like, where do you think that motivation from the market was coming from? Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, I think that the people that are moved or that were moving to our area in North Carolina, so we're, we're up in the mountains. Um, I think we were getting um, a, a very educated clientele moving to the area that had either moved from other areas where they were either frustrated with how their houses were functioning. Um, and we have a lot of people moving from uh, northern states, you know, where they're dealing with much more extreme temperatures. Yeah. And I think either they were looking for something different or were knowledgeable enough that something better existed that they were there was a demand for it right. and that's not necessarily the case in the rest of North Carolina and it's definitely not necessarily the case in the rest of the US but there are pockets of of kind of this um green um building uh demand in other parts of of the country so I mean we have similar interest in the Pacific Northwest in the U.S., mm -hmm. we've got pockets in you know Colorado's uh, definitely another area, but Western North Carolina just happens to be one of those areas. So um, I think because the demand was there, the builders were naturally responding to it and trying to build better houses than what they were uh, having to build before. So the end clients were getting it. The builders were wanting to do something, but there was a gap in the middle. Yeah, and I think it really was just the 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 knowledge base to to 
be able to tell the builders the, the most cost effective and kind of easiest way to meet those requirements um, was was missing. So I think there was a lot of trial and error going on, you know, going on. And I think there was a lot of misinformation going on. Or honestly, there was a lot of money being spent that didn't necessarily need to be spent. There right. were more effective ways to to make an efficient house. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, dive in. Your tagline, which it really attracted me, uh, helping with the technical side of building green. What is the technical side of building green? Well, so I mean, the the the, the in just to kind of clarify what the majority of our work is, we are also a what we call a HERS rating organization. So we do home energy rating system certification work. And a lot of that involves uh, energy modeling in our office that is kind of combined with on-site inspections and testing that kind of help us convert what starts off as a theoretical energy model to kind of really modeling the as-built version of the house. So, you know, and, and both versions of that model are very useful. And having the theoretical model kind of um, built, and that's based on what the builder is telling us that they're planning on using you know, as as the specifications for a house, and telling them, you know, this is how your house is performing. Here's either recommendations we have to improve that, or here are things that we think you could be doing differently that would either make the house perform better, or maybe even save the builder money while right. still providing either equivalent efficiency or better efficiency. Uh-huh. So um, th- th- when, it, when we talk about the technical side, a lot of it is just really coming down to the nuts and bolts of how it's being built and w- what is the payback on the improvements that people want in those houses to improve the efficiency. Is payback the, usually the biggest driver? Um, for a lot of, for a lot of clients it is. In fact, I'd say the majority of the clients, that's a major driver. You know, we certainly do have clients that come that have, you know, where, where the, the finances of building the house are not the most critical thing, but ultimately everybody runs into a budget constraint and that's where we have to say, okay, based on the budget you have, here are the recommendations we have. And, you know, a lot of that is either based on, you know, exactly where the house is being built orientation of the house, um, how the house is being used, how the house is being used. Um, whether we're talking about, you know, is it a vacation home? Is it being used year round? Um, you know, things like that. So not do do those recommendations sometimes increase the build cost? Yes. And, and I'll be perfectly honest that they sometimes can do that. Um, what we always try and temper that with when we make that kind of recommendation is really looking at what is the payback on that improvement. So with, with the energy modeling that we do, it's fairly easy for us to say, if we know that the improvement costs X amount of dollars, um, and we know that your savings from doing that improvement are X number of dollars per year, it's very easy for us to say, this is a good value improvement. And if, if people are able to look long-term past just what their mortgage is going to be, a lot of times we can convince them why that adding that cost to the house is a real logical thing to do. Right. So you do a couple of models there. Do you do a, a model of a standard um, if you didn't do these things and, and what it would cost and then do a comparative model of throwing some extra energy efficiency at it? 
Well, I mean, that's the beauty of the of the software that we use is what 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 ends up happening is you're always getting compared back to what's known as a reference house. And that reference house typically is going to be whatever the current code requirements are in your area. And how are the so, codes how are the codes in your area? Well, so what I'll tell you is North Carolina is uh, is is a challenging state to build in. Um, uh-huh. While while Western North Carolina is is kind of this hotbed of efficiency, um, the the state legislature overall is is a very conservative legislature and are not necessarily very interested in. Um, making improvements to efficiency. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of lobbying going on by the home builders associations around the state to kind of not um, adopt new building codes that are happening elsewhere in the country. So what ends up happening is right now we're stuck with an older version of the code, even though a newer one exists that from a financial standpoint makes a ton of sense. The, well, payback- so the home builders are yeah. lobbying to not improve the standard. In general, I would say that is correct. I mean, we certainly do have we have builders, you know, individually that are are interested in that. Sure. But as yep. a collective group, there are many other builders that are saying, "Hey, I want to build as cheap a house as possible because that gives me a leg up on my competition." Mm-hmm. And I think what gets missed is if everybody has to build to the same code, everybody else has the same costs that. that you as the builder have. And yep. I just don't know that that's how it's looked at. And yeah, I think yeah. the, lo- the lobbying arm of the Home Builders Associations really have gotten a good grip on the state legislature here. And it's translated to uh, an outdated code um, while a perfectly good new code that makes a ton of sense is sitting out there. So yeah. we and are... I, and I think yeah. that's a common theme around the country and around the world, really, where we see that resistance to change that is obviously being a benefit elsewhere. Right, right. So, I mean, the, the, the thing that's great about the builders that I have the luxury of working with is they're already have a leg up on, you know, where the, you know, where the new code is heading. So yeah. eventually when those codes get adopted, yep. the builders I'm working with are already doing it and know what needs to happen. And I, I feel bad for the builders that haven't been exposed to it because there is going to be a huge learning curve and they are not prepared for it. (laughs) Yeah. So you do a a reference model and you do a, um, a model looking at various options. And is that part of the design process? Do you have a conversation with clients then as to say, we, you've got these various options? Yes. And I mean, I'd say that that's, that's specific to how we operate our business. Um, it's worth it to us to take the extra time to not just say, well, tell me how you're going to build it and I'll tell you how you're performing and, and leaving it at that. There's, yep. there's an education component with all of our builders, that, especially newer builders that we haven't worked with a lot to say, let's take a look at your current process and is there something that we can recommend that will – make your job easier in the long run and provide a better house for either equivalent money or where the, the extra cost is a logical thing to add just purely based on how much better the house is performing. So who do you spend most of your time with? Is it um, home homeowners and clients or is it the builders? What I'd say is it's, it's, it, there's a, there's a fairly good distribution between builders, developers, 
architects and actual homeowners. And I'd say the majority of it is coming directly from the builders, um, either because they're in a development where either a certification or a requirement is is kind of stipulated in um, the development guidelines, or they're just builders that always build to a certain green certification. Um, you know, that's, that's, I'd say, the majority of who we work with. But we often do get contacted by homeowners that say, well, my builder doesn't necessarily do this, but yes. I, am de- I am demanding it of the builder. Yeah. And, you know, and those are always challenging. You know, I'd say every once in a while you'll, you'll end up meeting with a builder that is just really convinced that he does not want to be told how to build a house. Yeah. And yeah. those are tough people to, to, to convince that we're not the enemy. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're, we're here to help and we're here to answer questions and we're here to explain why what we're recommending is the better option. And I'd say more often than not, we, we, we win those people over and, and they turn into repeat clients, you know, after a while. Awesome. But yeah, so, so, I mean, but you do periodically meet the builder that's just trying to do the bare minimum possible to get through this thing. And it's unfortunate because I think they just hurt themselves when they do that. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's so so great to have an advocate for the client out there because I know of people who have talked to me uh, with the best intentions at the outset of their project and then builders or even sub-trades turn up and say, oh, no, that's not the way we do it. And it's very hard to argue against, a, say, a plumber or an electrician who's been doing something for 20 years and, and you're just a – just a client, <laughs> but you yeah, know, a client who who happens to want something slightly differently from what they're used to doing. Yeah, well, what I'll tell you though is it works the other way as well. Though we work with a number of green builders who end up with clients that do not necessarily either understand the efficiency aspects of a house right. or don't care about it, and and it, and, it, and that's that's even more interesting to work with because. <laughs> We're working usually directly with the builder on site where I don't have direct access to the homeowner. And what will end up happening is the the homeowner is dictating, I want it this way. And the builder is coming to me and saying, you know, Matt, can we do this and still meet certification requirements? And in some cases you can, in some cases you can't. And I periodically do have to call a homeowner and try and reason with them why what I'm recommending is in their best interest. And more often than not, I can convince them. But every once in a while, you you just get somebody that has it in their head. I know what I want and I'm not going to listen to anybody. And, you know, it's unfortunate. But sometimes we've lost projects because ultimately the homeowner kept it from being certified. Wow. So. It's it's strange. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, part of your service there that you mentioned is checking the as built um, product. So you do a model at the beginning, and then you you check it, and do you compare the two? Yeah. So what ends up happening is we we typically are coming on site at least three times during construction. So the the first time we're showing up is after the house is framed and and what we call dried in. So you know roofing, windows, doors are installed, and a lot of times where the initial rough ins for systems are installed. So the HVAC system, uh, plumbing, electrical, things like that. So we're we're seeing it prior to insulation going in, and that's a good opportunity for us to come out and 
you know, verify, you know, the thermal values of windows and doors, um, verify orientation, make sure that the house as it's framed matches up with the drawings that we were given. And it gives us an opportunity to kind of walk through the house with the builder and kind of prepare them for what is going to be required for the next inspection. And the next inspection is typically after the house is insulated, but before uh, drywall is installed because a lot of the certifications require us to verify both amounts of insulation as well as the quality of the installation of that product. So that gives us a second time to come in and kind of verify that the theoretical model either matches up or if there's modifications that we need to make to those insulation levels, that's another opportunity for us to, to make those, those kinds of changes to the, to the model. And then the last inspection that we typically are doing is when the house is completely done, all of the appliances and equipment are installed, permanent power uh, it has been set on the house, so the meter, and it allows us to then go in and actually do a lot of the diagnostic testing that we do. So we're doing duct leakage testing on the HVAC system. We're doing a blower door test on the actual thermal envelope. We're testing flow rates on bath fans, range hood, setting fresh air ventilation if there's an energy recovery ventilator uh, installed, um, things like that. And that's really the last step for us to be able to change that from that theoretical model that we did early on in the office and converting it to this is the as-built version of the house. So that last one, you're essentially commissioning the house. Yes, pretty much. That's exactly what it is. The Those three visits and all your professional services must add a chunk to the overall cost of the house is, is that a i mean how much is it and uh who who um absorbs that well so i mean so it it it's all re- i would say it's all relative because i would actually say that the amount that we're adding to that house is relatively modest compared to other things that people are spending on the house and and a lot of times when i meet with a client that isn't that doesn't fully understand what they're paying for. The the way I kind of equate it is um, when somebody goes out to buy a computer or a car, mm-hmm. you know, things that are much cheaper than the house that they're, they're investing a good chunk of money in. Yeah. What I, what I try and equate it to is I was like, if, if somebody, if the salesperson that's selling that computer to you says, you know, for an extra 1% of the purchase cost of this computer, I actually have a line to the to the to the factory where we will independently test the computers and we will sell you the one that tested the best out of the whole batch that comes out of the factory. And you know similarly we talk about, you know, hey, you know, we've got a ton of cars on this lot, but I have a line to the 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 the, the car factory and we are doing the same kind of testing. When somebody says, you know, it might add $30 to the cost of a computer to get the best one, or it might add, you know, $100 to the cost of a car or $150 to the cost of a car, those people, it's a no-brainer when it's about something that's less valuable. So when I say the same thing about probably the biggest investment that somebody's going to make in their life, which is, you know, either a retirement home or, you know, their first home or, what you know, a home in general. Yeah. They have to look at it the same way. If I can help to verify that what you are getting is not a lemon, yeah. that is the best money that you can possibly spend on your house yeah. because it means you're going to have a more comfortable house. 
You're going to have a house that's operating exactly the way, you know, you're expecting it to operate. And it's going to be performing better than all of your neighbors' houses. Like, it seems like a no-brainer to me. And do people, and a lot under, of time, do people understand, because yeah. they might be assuming that the, the building code and, the, and the, the regional standards are going to protect them from not having a, a lemon. Do people and, get and, that that's yeah. not? Yeah, and, and we talk about that. And, and you know, and it's used quite often. But when we talk about building codes, what we're talking about is essentially the worst house that you can legally build yeah. for a person. And, yeah. you know, and, and on top of that, what you're talking about is you are having an inspector come in you know, probably the same number of times that I'm coming in to look at a house, but where I'm spending hours, uh, you know, on site doing the work that I do, inspectors are so overworked in the U.S. at this point that I've actually seen inspectors come on site and not leave their car to do an inspection. Right. Drive through inspection. And that's, and that's, ter- that's terrifying. I mean, yeah. that's the idea. Somebody can look at a house and say, yep, everything's probably fine. And I don't know how you do that. <laughs> I'm not saying that all inspectors do that, but even even when they're even when they are given some time to come through and do those inspections, we're not talking about spending hours on site. Usually, it's usually minutes. Yeah, that's really what we're talking well, about. They're certainly not coming through with a blow door. No, they're and, and typically no. What I'll say is, depending on where you are building in the country, some of the new codes are requiring those kinds of diagnostic tests. Right. And and I think that's a that's a good thing. Um the, the thing that's going to be scary though is those those jurisdictions that are fighting those kinds of testing procedures are going to be in a world of hurt when all of a sudden they have to do it and they got to meet benchmarks that they've never had to meet before. Yeah, cuz I can imagine because, if a, if a builder hasn't had to build to a, a specific air tightness standard and they get to the end of the first project or even that pre-lining stage, it's going to be a bit of a headache to... Um, well, I mean, not a headache. I mean, I don't know exactly how they come in if, if a blower door test fails and the house is finished. I don't know exactly where you go back to make the blower yeah. door pass. Yeah. And, that, and, and we're seeing that in certain jurisdictions in the, in the country now where all of a sudden there's a benchmark that was never there before. And the builder that's you know, either said, well, I'm going to just build it the way I've built it for the last 20 years. All of a sudden, when their blower door doesn't pass at the end, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a terrifying ass. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen to, to a builder, but I'm sure it's going to. Yeah. Hey, look, um, very quickly, we have to start wrapping up. What would be the top three things that tend to be your recommendations for better performance? I mean, it's it's a bit of a loaded question because so much depends on how the house is being used. But in general, what I would tell you is water heating is something that most people just don't spend a lot of time thinking about. And, you know, when people either put in a relatively cheap gas tank water heater or a relatively cheap electric tank water heater – what they're doing is they're spending a lot of money to keep a tank of water hot year round inefficiently when it's not being used very often. So water heating is usually something that I'll focus in on because the payback on a good water heater tends to be fairly quick. Yep. Um, efficient lighting is is probably the quickest payback of anything I can recommend. And we still have people that are really convinced that 
incandescent and halogen lighting are what they want because that's what they've always had. And they somehow feel that that somehow is going to give them a better quality of light. But it is so inefficient Mm. and it costs so much to replace those bulbs every time they burn out that I can usually make the case for either LED or compact fluorescent lighting where the payback can be, you know, sometimes less than a year, depending on how often the light's being used. And at that point... I can I can convince them with especially with some of the subsidies that we see from utilities for LED and fluorescent lighting, you know I can get them something that is fully dimmable that gets them the same color rendering that they're getting out of an incandescent light for what on paper looks like more money, but when they look at their energy savings, it's it's shocking how quickly it pays back. Yeah, right. Um, so water light. Water, heating, lighting, and I'm trying to think if I had to pick a third one. <sighs> to be honest, it, then we start really looking at um, kind of uh, insulation strategies. And I'm actually a big advocate, you know, of fiberglass insulation. And I'm not saying that fiberglass insulation works in all um, situations, but if 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 certain things are done in a certain way with framing, all of a sudden fiberglass can be a very friendly material to install and to install correctly. And in terms of bang for the buck, um, the price of fiberglass insulation versus other types such as either blown-in blanket or open cell or closed cell foam, the fiberglass tends to be you know, a fraction of the cost with yeah. very similar insulating properties. So a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm helping to cost engineer the design of a project, um, just purely looking at how we frame it. Because so, the big focus of your modeling is on that return on investment, isn't it? So that yes, the cost it, it really is. E- even if somebody is telling me that that's not a concern, I tend to look out for them on that anyways yeah. because I'm because I'm really not sacrificing the performance um, when I do it. So yeah, awesome. Hey, look, uh, Matt, it's um, been fantastic uh, connecting with you. Um, sounds like a great environment to be working in where there is a demand for what you're doing, albeit that you, you know, I'm assuming you're still having to go out and convince a few people. of. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, part. you know, we certainly we have repeat clients, but I'm always trying to convince the people that aren't doing it because on our end, it really is a matter of. I, I, I'm trying to make everybody build as efficient a house as possible, and, nice. and it's the people that aren't doing it that are the the, the the critical people to reach. So yeah, yeah. Well, and it it looks sounds like things are moving in the right direction, and I love that that sort of compassion that you've got for the people that are dragging the chain a little bit. And, and <laughs> I think that's yeah. a really positive outlook to say, look, things are going to change, so you might as well get on board because it's going to be really painful yep. for you if you don't. That's right. That's Rather right. And just getting angry with them. <laughs> well, you know what? You, you, can, you can tear your hair out getting angry at people, and it's, it's a lot easier to, to, to convince them why you're right than to tell them that they're wrong. So Nice, nice. Where can people find uh, you and your team? Um, you know, usually uh, the easiest way to, to to find out about what we do and honestly what other HERS raiders around the country do, um, they can go to our website. It's www.vandymusser, it's V as in Victor, A-N-D-E-M-U-S-S-E-R.com. 
And uh, we talk about our company and the people that work there and all of the services that we offer and, and why we think they're a good value. So it's a, it's a nice, easy website to navigate around. You've got some good contact <laughs> yeah. information there. So yeah, I'll put, I'll yeah. put a link uh, to that in the, in the show notes for this episode and people can, uh, can find you. And uh, we didn't talk about your wife at all, but you've got a, you've got a bit of a team there, haven't you? Yep. And honestly, she does. I mean, she, she has her projects and I have mine, but she, she does a lot of the same work I do. She's definitely the, the, the engineer in the group and I'm, I'm more of the architect, but I mean, it's, it's been a great, it's been a great working environment. It's the best job I've ever had. And I'm, I'm hoping I get to do this until I'm ready to retire. So nice. nice. Awesome. Hey, well, thanks a lot, Matt. Yeah, you're welcome. Been a pleasure. Yeah, me too. I appreciate it. Thank you. Matthew Vandy there from Vandermusser.com, architects and designers. And gee, what a great problem to have. It'd just be so fantastic to be in that sort of environment where the building industry is asking because they know that they want to do things better and they're asking for uh, advice on on how to do that. And, And Matt's providing that service. And as he says, he's not the enemy. He's trying to make it efficient and cost-effective and, and um, make more efficient houses. Um, I would love to get your comments on this show and others. You can email me directly, matthew at homestylegreen.com, or you can leave a comment on our Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash homestylegreen. I'm also pretty active on Twitter and would love to get your reviews and recommendations or or uh, ratings over on the uh, in the iTunes store, and I've left a little video in the uh, Homestyle Green YouTube channel just how to do that, so you can check that out as well. Also, just recently on the homepage of Homestyle Green, there is a free guide for designing and building a sustainable house, and it's on the right hand side. There's an image there of a guide to uh, sustainable building. You can click on that and download yourself a free copy or you can go to homestylegreen.com forward slash sustainable dash guide. All the links and show notes from this episode can be found at homestylegreen.com forward slash 102. That's for episode 102. I uh, hope you enjoyed it and uh, that's about it for this week. So until next episode... Go make a better place to live.